Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a pop quiz or a final exam? <laughs> final exams you could study for. Yes. And you say, oh, okay, I'd rather have the final exam. But most people say, but a lot of the grade is based on the final exam, and uh, nobody is happy with pop quizzes. So for my students, every now and then I would mention that we're going to have a pop final exam. And the look on their face is like, no, that's not. Well, I, I just put something in your thoughts here this morning. We're going through the book of Revelation. We are in the hard section of the study of this book. It is uh, describing for us the tribulation period. And I would ask you another kind of question. Would you rather go through uh, the challenges of this life right now, when they're unexpected and every week it seems to be different, but you're going through it as a Christian with a bunch of surprises, or would you rather go through the tribulation period? I think I know your answer. You'd rather take the pop surprises, wouldn't you? We we do experience things in the Christian life, and I think it's good for us to experience things in the Christian life that stretch us, that challenge our faith. How many have been felt challenged lately? Probably a lot of us, right? A lot of us. But you know what that does? It helps us to realize all the more how great our God is. We serve a sovereign God, don't we? Do we not need the reminder of that? We do. That's what we're going through. Even in our era right now, with these strange things happening in communities, and whether you think that it's blown out of proportion, or whether or not you're scared to death about what you're seeing, still we have a sovereign God who was sovereign last week, and he's sovereign today, and he's sovereign next week, too. Isn't that great to know? Even on a Monday? Even on a Monday. I set that before you today, because as we're going through Revelation, we're going through the majority of this book is talking about the tribulation period. From chapter 4 to chapter 19, that's a big, big chunk of this book. And very rarely do we find good news in there. And I go away thinking, wow, I just gave them a whole 45 minutes of, ugh. And they go home, and then somebody will call up and say, you know, that pastor, that really touched my heart. And I'm thinking, how? <laughs> it's just to me, it's like I read it, and it's like reading Lamentations over and over again. And it's like, it's heavy stuff. But the Lord is so good to us to walk with us, as he does each and every day, and encourage our hearts, and he can take his word, which is true, and put the ugliest moment that's going to come to this earth right on the page in black and white before us, and still as believers we come away feeling, boy does he love me, and I'm so glad I'm his, and he's in charge. And I think that's encouraging to me. So, I set you up for chapter 15 of the book of Revelation, because... In this, there are some wonderful, wonderful things, and yet it's still another hard chapter. 
This is the shortest chapter in the entire book. Only eight verses long. And it sounds like we'll be done in ten minutes, right? No. All right, let's go with it. Revelation chapter 15, 1 through 8. Then I'll have a word of prayer with you. And then we'll dive right into seeing what we see. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like the sea of glass, like a sea of glass mixed with fire, those who have been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord, God the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded about their chest were golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege of having your word right here in our hand to read a passage like this. I pray, Lord, that uh, once again, you will help us as we seek to understand it, that we might be edified and we might be encouraged, and most of all, that we might become more like Christ, for that is why you have given us your word and the whole ministry of the church and our work with each other as believers, is that we should all attain to the maturity of Christ and May that be going on even in our midst today as we study together. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of having your word. May we give it the attention it deserves. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what are we looking at here? This is sign number three. We started this way back in chapter number 12, where there was a first sign in the first verse of chapter 12, And it was a woman, remember? There was a woman that was about to give birth. Sign number two started immediately after that, and it was a dragon. Remember? Some of you? Or do I have to start over? All right. There was a dragon, and the dragon was trying to destroy the woman who was about to give birth, and the child she bore. And the whole scene just kept going on and on and on. Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. That's all the one sign of what we've been looking at. So, here we start chapter 15, and he says, well, I see another sign. We're now on the third sign that he is witnessing. John is recording for us. And again, I will tell you, signs are to be taken literally, even though they are using word pictures to help us understand something. All right? 
there's truth. And the events and the people are real. It's just that he has to, well, I don't know about you, but it's easier to read it in a comic book sometimes than it is in some great big old paper of lots of words, right? You like to see pictures? Most of us do. That's what he's doing. He's giving us some pictures of something that is going to happen. Well, today he gives us another sign here in chapter number 15. I saw another sign in heaven, he says, great and marvelous. Now, we're going to talk about this, but I'm going to show you how I'm going to work with this text so you understand. We're going to do verse number 1, and then we're going to jump right down to verse number 5. All right? Then we're going to come back to verse 2 through 4. All right? There's kind of like a, 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 a dual scene going on here of one thing is being explained, and then another thing pops into the picture, and he talks about that. So I'm going to just pull it out for a minute so you see the sign, and then you plug back in the center. Make sense? All right, just follow me. It's going to work. All right, chapter 15, verse 1. I saw another sign in heaven, great and Marvelous. Here's something interesting. The first sign we said in chapter 12 was great. And he says, this is a great sign. I want to tell you about this. Now he adds another word to it. Marvelous. Isn't that a great word? You use that, don't you? Yeah, you use it. Maybe, maybe in one of those ways, like, oh, marvelous. You know, that's, that's usually the way we respond to things. We take great words and we turn them into... You know, uh, that kind of an expression. The word is wonderful. And we use that word a lot. Wonderful. But do you know what it means? Wonderful. That means I don't know what it is. I wonder what that is. Marvelous is a marvel. The word for it actually is passing human comprehension. I like to say, it breaks the circuits. All right? It is that kind of a word that he, John is, he's not saying, this is great. <laughs> this is marvelous, like we use it. He's using it like, this is beyond human comprehension, what he's about to explain. So, so we get the feel for what he's about to do. We have to understand how, how the Lord uses such words like this in reference to his own work and his own character, how many times have you read things about the Lord or his work and it's left you amazed? Do you still do that when you read God's word? You see something and you say, wow, that's absolutely stunning. How many times have you thought that just watching a bee fly around in the front yard from flower to flower? That's amazing. That's marvelous. How many times have you thought that about the water cycle, which we've seen a pretty good share of that lately? Water coming down, waters the earth, turns into humidity or whatever, goes back up, forms another cloud within 24 hours, and down it comes again. You have been part of the water cycle for a couple of weeks now. How many times have you stopped and said, Lord, this is amazing what you have made. What an incredible display. Even that one last night, you, you watch it coming, it was like, whoosh, there it is, and the clouds were awesome. And then a beautiful rainbow followed it. I think there were two. 
I saw a picture of dual rainbows out there on, on Facebook this morning. I said, well, that was beautiful. How many times have you stopped and said, Lord, that's amazing? You never think that of gravity, do you? Most people don't say gravity. Amazing. Wind power. All of the way things balance in our world today. He has the power, do you not know, to destroy this world with one word? He created it that way. With words. He could take it away that way, I'm sure. But yet he sustains this world. He maintains this world. He keeps the oxygen level where it needs to be so that you and I can actually breathe. That's kind of nice. He keeps the spin of the earth going in such a way that you're not flying off right now. Isn't that amazing? Or is that just boring? That's routine. That's something we're used to. Thunder and lightning get our attention. Winter storms get our attention. Tornadoes, tsunamis get our attention. These things are big and we see them, but daily events. Can we easily lose the wonder of his power? Imagine if you had to drive past the Grand Canyon every day in order to go to work. How many times do you go by it before you stop looking at those majestic majestic cliffs and such? Well, the Lord talks about things that are marvelous. Beyond that phrase, we go, unbelievable. They're circuit-breaking things. And he brings it up in this text. You know what? What it says in chapter 15, by the time we get to verse number 4, has been said in Psalm 118, in Matthew 21, in Mark chapter 12, in Acts chapter 4, and also in 1 Peter chapter 2. He can create a world. He can sustain a world. He can even visit that world in the flesh, right? Which he did. And yet, the builders of this world take that stone and toss it aside. That passage is here. They toss it aside and God makes it what? Oh, you know. The builders reject the stone. It became the, uh, Charlotte just said it, the chief cornerstone. It's very interesting to me as I was thinking of all this, because as I'm reading chapter 15 and studying it up, he says this is marvelous. And a lot of times we read it as mundane. As if, okay, let's just get the words and the scene and just move on. And I wonder at times if man in his pride and his self-pomp and his, his majestic view of himself of his puny self, maybe, (laughs) stands up and says, God, you do not impress me. I don't really need you. I don't really want you. I could get on without you. As a believer, you might say, well, that's, that's incredible. Anybody would think that way. I wonder what the angels thought as they looked down on this scene as the Lord is having it spelled out in his word. I wonder if the angels stopped and wondered at what they were seeing. If you take all of mankind and heap them into a pile, 
They amount to a handful of dust on the scales of God. Are you not amazed that God thinks so highly of you? And yet this world rejects him all the time. They reject him and they reject him and they reject him. To me that's mind-blowing. First Peter 2 verse 9 says this, You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There it is again. That ought to be circuit breaking for us as believers. That he is, he, he beyond human comprehension took his marvelous light and he put us in it. That the difference Christ has made in our life ought to make us stand back and, and be stunned. What's it mean to be changed from darkness to light? What does it mean to be changed from dead to alive? What's it mean to be lost and now found? What about the change that goes in a heart or in a mind or in the actions? Think of the words like joy or peace or, or hope or forgiveness. The identity we wear as children of God. Think of the place called heaven, reserved for you. Think of the inheritance that you share with Jesus Christ. Think of the fact that you're a new creature in Christ. Think of the fact that you're a citizen of heaven. Think of the fact that you're loved by the Father and redeemed by the Son. And tell me that the Christian life is boring. What am I doing with this? I'm setting a chapter before you that says this is marvelous. And yet we read it as if we're bored stiff sometimes. And I don't know why. We don't pick up that little word and say, okay, I'm ready, Lord, for you to show me something that just blows my mind. Maybe we have uh, spiritual cataracts. (laughs) We can't see because our eyes are dim. I don't want to be desensitized to this passage, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. I don't want to be desensitized where the marvelous has lost its marvel. And you say, well, Pastor, you're on some sort of rabbit trail this morning. I don't think so, because twice in the passage, the word marvelous appears. You saw it, didn't you? Verse number one, where else? Where else? Look at verse three. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. That should make us stand still and say, wow, what are we in for? What are we about to see? There's something here that ought to be beheld. So let's not just pass by it, but let's stop and see the significance of what we're looking at. How stunning this chapter is. Things that that make you hold your breath. Because you anticipate something is about to happen. Quite a few years ago, and it was quite a, quite a long time ago, uh, my daughter Carrie was very young. I think she was two years old, maybe a little bit less than that. I don't remember. But we went to Texas. Uh, we were looking into a ministry in Texas. And we stayed at a home with a family that had a very large in-ground swimming pool. 
And I remember that pretty well because they invited us to go swimming with them. And so we went and got, at the time we had Philip and Josh and Carrie, the three children, and we thought, yeah, they're going to love to swim. But the fact was that Carrie had never swum before. She had never gone swimming at all. And so we told the lady that as we got near the pool. And so we said, we'll just take her in the shallow end and let her play in the water like it's a bathtub. And the lady says, well, let me see her for a minute. She picked her up and she threw her into the deep end of the pool. You know what that does to a parent? We all go, right? You just did too. But you know what? That was the point. Because it also made Carrie do that. And when she goes, <gasps> guess what she was ready for? She went under the water. And she came up and she was as happy as can be. And she swam. And I said, that's amazing. I would have never thought of that in a lifetime. I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. But she swam like a fish every time. I don't know if you want to try that technique at home or something like that. I don't know if it's even the standard approach for it, but I watched it that day, and if you want something exciting, that's exciting for a minute to see that happen. Picture this, if you will. Chapter 15 is starting, and all of heaven takes a huge breath because something marvelous is about to be described. It, it goes beyond human comprehension. It's something the Lord is going to do, and they're ready. You're going to see it in verse 2 and 3 and 4. They're ready just to burst out in praise. Because they're told something marvelous is about to happen. Are you ready now? Okay. Don't treat chapter 15 like you're reading the phone book. All right? Don't miss what John is about to tell us. Verse number 1, he says there's seven angels here. You picture that in your mind? I don't know what you've got for a picture of an angel, but seven angels, and they have seven plagues with them. Did that just change your picture? Seven plagues. Now, we think of a plague like the bubonic plague. They have records. If you want to Google it, you, they can tell you what the seven worst plagues this world has ever seen. And believe it or not, it's not COVID yet, right? They have smallpox, number one. I didn't know that. 300 million people have been killed on this earth because of smallpox. That's astonishing. Spanish flu, 50 to 100 million people died from that. The Black Death, or the Black Plague, they called it, 75 million people died from that. Malaria, 2 million people per year died from malaria. I said, Really? And then add all the other things from AIDS and typhus and all these other things. And we've got coronavirus and we talk about the death toll and numbers and stuff like that. When we read the word plagues, what do you think? You think those kind of things, don't you? They're plagues. So, well, we've, we looked it up. Well, I looked it up too and I said, what is that word for plagues? I, I don't see that often in the Greek text. So I looked it up and the word is strokes, beatings, floggings, Stripes, wounds. Suddenly it took on another picture for me. It's not something that somebody accidentally catches along the way. These are punishment terms for somebody who's done something wrong. 
They are beatings. And you can put that word in there. Seven angels with seven beatings. And you say, ooh. Because this is a punishment chapter, isn't it? They're, they're being brought to, to uh, a position of, as it says at the end of verse number one, the wrath of God. That ought to stun us just right there. Pounding the individual or pounding the nation or pounding the world with intense wrath. So these seven angels are carrying something that ought to make anybody's eyes pop just to think, whoa, seven punishments are coming with them. Seven punishments. Now, may I don't know if I'll just tell you this story. Happened a long time ago, too. My son, Philip, if he was here, he'd, he'd know. He'd, he'd laugh, too. Uh, my son Philip was uh, very young. We had just moved into a new house, and we were setting up the furniture in the rooms. And uh, he came into the room where I was putting a bed together. And this was the one with the frame where you have those long slats of wood underneath it. And those, those are terrible. I always screw them in so they never come back out again. But uh, I'm putting in those long slats. And he came into the room. And I'm standing there with one in my hand, and it's six feet tall, right? And I'm holding it. I said, boy, are you in trouble. The look on his face was priceless. Just like, what? I mean, just the size of that thing could scare you to death. And I just, it just was one of those spontaneous moments where I thought, this is going to be fun, little kid, make his eyes pop, right? Uh, this is real. This is real. This scene you have before you is not some make-believe thing just to see if you can rattle somebody. It's real. Imagine that. The intense wrath of God. It says right there, this is the last of the plagues, the last of the judgments, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Can you imagine what that is? We've been studying the punishment on the earth from chapter 4 all the way up to chapter 15 so far. And by the way, the description of what these are are in chapter 16, 17, and 18. And they, they are the worst of the worst. So jump down to verse number 5. Like I said, from there, keep on 5 because we're going to keep with the picture going. The seven angels who had the seven plagues, which are the last, because of the wrath of God in them is finished. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple. So there they are again. They're clothed in linen, clean and bright, girded about their chest with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full, full, you see the word? Full of the wrath of God. Seven bowls full of the wrath of God. We call these the bowl judgments. Some people call them the vile judgment. V-I-A-L. Like a beaker of some kind or a, a jar that you carry something in full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. 
The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. As I told you, the next chapters are going to show you what each of those bowls were full of and the nature of that kind of punishment. But I am amazed with the last phrase especially, that there was smoke in the temple of God in heaven, and nobody was able to enter it. That's happened before on earth, hasn't it? In Exodus chapter 40, for example, Moses had spent all that time with his help to others helping to construct the tabernacle. They were given the instructions on Mount Sinai. And it took them practically a year to do all the work that needed done for making the tent, probably finding the pieces for it, building it and all the different intricate parts and the, the bolts and the nuts and the, and the material and all the rest. And then you've got the gold pieces, the, the table of showbread and all the rest, the candlestick and all that. Well, they're working all this and they're, they're getting it finished and they bring it all together and they build it and they put it all together and all its parts and pieces and they're having a dedication service. So that they could start using it. And it says in Exodus chapter 40 verse 35. Then a cloud came. And it covered the tent of meeting. And it says. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And it was so impressive. Moses wasn't able to enter the tent of meeting. Because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I had to think that had to have been impressive. When you're working on some project like that and you're just about done, you're having your dedication ceremony and suddenly God's glory just fills it up? Isn't that marvelous? Wow! Try to put yourself in his sandals for a minute. Impressive as can be. Now, that's not the only time this happened. It happened again when Solomon finished the building of the temple, the structure itself, and he was building that in chapter 8 of First Kings. And he went through all the work of building it and, and all the pieces there and all that went into that. And then they had their dedication ceremony. And they said, let's put the Ark of the Covenant in it. Because there was in a tent down the street. And they brought it up. And they put the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And they started to offer up sacrifices. And as they were starting to do this, the priest came from the holy place. This cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now what do you see here? Twice, in the middle of a worship service, in a dedication service, twice God stopped them dead with an impression that they could only put their hand over their mouth and say, Wow! And they couldn't do a thing but watch. Guess what just happened in heaven? The place where worship goes on all the time. Angels are busy serving the Lord, busy serving the Lord. And suddenly, they can't even go into the temple to keep doing their job because God's glory has just gone boom. And they all have to step back and watch. It's like, whoo, what is this that they see? What is this? It's a pretty awesome display. God is pouring out his wrath on a sinful earth. It doesn't mean that he lost his sense of control 
or that his rage is so violent that it's wild and unrestrained. It's just a display of the glory and the power of our God. And wow, that must be a sight. That must be a sight. We get into the habit and the routine of worship, even in its best sense. God's person and work deserves our worship constantly. It does. It will be so in heaven. But imagine when all of that is set aside because His glory and His power is so magnified in the eyes who are watching. I said, that's pretty cool. John says, that's marvelous. <laughs> that's what he's saying. That's a marvelous sight. It's a wonderful sight. It's a stunning sight. It's an awesome sight. It's beyond human comprehension. And when we get into the picture of these plagues, you're going to see it. It's a, whoa. And I think you're going to come to one conclusion with me. I'm glad I won't be there. I suppose that the scenes in heaven are probably going to be like this for us. When we get up there, what will it be? What will it be when we shall see him as he is? What will that be? I think I'm going to see, I'm going to see floor tiles for a long time. There's a sound in heaven. You're going to hear it. It's called plop. And it happens a lot up there. The Lord shows us something. Down we go. Plop is the word. Watch and see. You said, the pastor was right. We shall see him just as he is, Scripture says. Isn't that going to be awesome? Wow. Remember, folks, and I'll say this again. The book of Revelation was not written for this world to see it. It was not written for unbelievers to see it. It was written for the church to see it. Because the church ought to be the one who plops. The church ought to be the one who reads this and stands in awe of the power of our God, who sees his plans, even his punishment, and still comes away saying, Lord, you are worthy of our praise. It's the church that needs to express that because we are the ones who turns all the marvelous into the mundane. Because we see it so often. We talk about it so often. This world has rejected the very Savior who saved you. This world has hated the one who loves you. The world has resisted the one that you serve. They have used the name of your Lord as a swear word in a vulgar conversation. You have lived in an evil, dirty generation, haven't you? We know it. We know in Scripture it won't get better. But we are citizens of heaven. We're children of a king. We know His name will be vindicated. We know that His works and His promises will be fulfilled. We know that His justice and His holiness and His righteousness will be exalted on this earth. The church ought to be the one declaring it. We ought to be in the forefront to say, this is what we're excited about. In chapter 15, who's doing that? Go back to verse 2. 
Who is the one in the midst of all this who stands there and says, Lord, praise your name. Follow with me. And I saw, verse 2, something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. Who are these people? Tribulational saints. Big word, right? They are the believers of the tribulation period. That's not you and me. That's the people who will be on this earth seeing this firsthand. That's not the church. Those are believers, yes, but it's in the tribulation period. And they're going to see these things. We're just getting glimpses of them on the Word. They're going to see them in real life. And notice what they can say. Notice what they can say. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God. Look at their testimony as they're going through the worst thing a man can see. They turn it about to praise Him. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nation. They're not complaining about the way God treated this world. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and your actions are righteous. And they're the ones that go through and see it. And they could testify that way. Isn't that amazing? Who are these people? Well, we got glimpses of them too in Revelation. Chapter number 6, there was a reference to them. In verse number 9 through 11, The Lamb broke the fifth seal, and I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God because of the testimony which they maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Are those hard verses? Oh, yes, they are. Tribulational saints, they're martyrs. A lot of them are martyrs. They die for their faith because they believe God is holy and true. And they experience terrible things. And it says in chapter 7, when it brings them up again, in verse 9, I'm going to read a lengthy part, 9 through 17. And John says, And I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, and every tribe, and every people, and every tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they're clothed in white robes, that's the same group, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne, and all the elders and the living creatures, and they fell on their places before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders said to me, uh, was saying to me, these are the ones clothed in white robes. Who are they? Where did they come from? And I said, my Lord, you know. And he says, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night and in his temple. And they, he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them, and they will hunger no longer, thirst no more. 
the sun will beat down on them and they know they won't have that and they won't have any heat for the lamb is the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to the springs of water of life and God will wipe every tear from their eyes I just want to introduce you to these people they've gone through the worst this world has ever given for they were not immune to the wrath of God they were on this planet when things were coming apart. And on top of that, they were martyred for their faith. And what are they able to do before that throne? Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. You want an application right now? When we think Monday's tough, it's nothing like these folks. When we have challenges in this life, oh, I know, they're hard. They're hard for us. But we go through challenges too. Why do we always put praise somewhere else than where it belongs? For our God has not changed. He is holy and He is true all the time, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your challenges, regardless of how hard it is here. Don't forget who he is. These guys didn't. Their praise keeps going on. What do they do in chapter 15? We are now at the very lowest point of all the trouble that could come. And guess what they're doing? Singing. Wouldn't you love to sing again? Singing. That's what it says in verse number 3. They sang. Wow. They sang a song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And then their words. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. We might assume... That if anyone knows what it's like to be freed from bondage by the incredible hand of God, it would be men like Moses. (laughs) Remember his story? With some two million Israelites and they came out of Egypt? We don't know exactly what the song is, the song of Moses. There are people who say it's this passage or that passage or this passage. I don't know, but it appears to be a song of deliverance. And they're very thankful for that. He quotes here, matter of fact, in verse number 4, he quotes Psalm 86. And you would think, well, that's not a song of Moses, that's a prayer of David. Did John get this wrong? No. Did Moses know about deliverance? Yes. Did David know about deliverance? Yes, he did. And this is what it says in Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. I'm afflicted and needy. Think for a minute. If you're, just think, all right? Say you're a tribulational saint. Say you're in the midst of the worst of the worst. And listen to these words. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O God, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good 
and you're ready to forgive an abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Give heed to the voice of my supplication. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. There is no one like you among all the gods, O Lord, nor is there any work like yours. All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great, and you do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness toward me is great. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, arrogant men have risen up against me, and a band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. You're slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. O grant your strength to be your, to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. You know what? You ought to read Psalm 86 sometime. Just bask in that psalm. Can you see the picture of it? David, who knew trouble, lots of trouble, says, Lord, you're the one who saved me. It's your loving kindness that's great. You are merciful. You are gracious. You are slow to anger. You are abundant in truth. You give me strength. You save me. You help me. You comfort me. Do you know what you get from all that? A person who isn't standing saying, me, 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 but saying, you, you, you. And that will change your attitude every time, won't it? That's what these guys are doing in chapter 15. Do you see it? They're not saying, oh, woe is me. Oh, we had the worst life ever. Look at the scars. Look at the beatings. Look at the bruising. Look at the what. They're saying, Lord, it's you. It's you that's great. It's you that's great. And they can't stop that theme. They turn it into a song. What are you singing right now in your heart? What are you singing in your heart? This world will never sing this song, folks. They will never sing this song. But you, as a believer, like people in Moses' day, like people in David's day, like the tribulational saints someday, you all have something in common. You have a God worthy of your praise. He is worthy of of your praise. And you can say it just like they do. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Is that not marvelous, folks? How can you see such a picture of God and walk away unmoved by what you have seen in this passage? That's what stunned me as I'm preparing this. I said, man, I can't wait till Sunday. I almost called you up yesterday and said, get over here. This, this is such a stunning passage. And I love it because it turns it all to praise to him. And isn't that what we should be doing? Think about your week ahead of you now. What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to do? Set the song in your heart, folks. 
set the song in your heart. I will glorify his name. You ready? Heavenly Father, we're preparing for another week that we don't know what's out there. We don't know what happens the rest of this day. We don't know what happens tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday. We don't know. But we have a God who's worthy of praise. You always have been. You are right now. You will be tomorrow too. I pray that you put this song in our heart. It's a simple song, but it's meant to give you glory. And I pray that we have seen the example of those who have gone through the worst. And they're still able to sing it. May we be like them, ready to sing to your praise. Lord, what a glorious thing it is to know you. What a privilege it is to be saved. To have Jesus Christ as our Savior and God as our Father. What a privilege that is. Not just because we need you here, but we will see you there. Forever and ever we shall be with you. Because you have promised. And you're faithful. And you are true all the time. You have encouraged our hearts today. I hope it's touched deep within each and every one of us. Well, we live in a, of a, in a shaken world. We're not sure from day to day of events, but we are sure of our God. May we live like it. May we walk like it. May we talk like it. May we sing like it. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.